0: We hit, we saw a raise in volunteerism. We saw a raise in new DJs. So it, by the measures that we had was a successful campaign. Now, was it a super tech goal? Like I dove into AdWords and did retargeting and whatever else. I'm like, no, it wasn't all that, but it was a good introduction to what do people care about and what will get people in the door.
1: Hey everybody. Welcome to the small business storytellers. This podcast is for you. If you see business as a tool for making the world a better place. My name is Seth Silvers, I'll be your host, and one of my biggest passions is learning from businesses who are growing without losing their authenticity. On season two, we're learning about how to thrive in times of crisis, as we learn from businesses who have been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Let's dive in. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Small Business Storytellers. And uh, if you're new here, my name is Seth Silvers. I am here today with Nick Armstrong. Nick, thanks so much for joining the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited for this conversation because uh, Nick is another, another marketing guy. Um, I'm sure there's, I know there's marketing gals too, um, but he's another marketing professional in town and so him and I have been rubbing shoulders for the last couple of years in our community and uh, in this season, season two of the podcast, we're talking about times of crisis. Uh, most businesses are being drastically impacted right now by the COVID-19 pandemic. And so a lot of these episodes on season two have been about how do we get through that? How do we uh, respond in times of crisis? How do we market in times of crisis? And so today we're going to learn a little bit about Nick's marketing company and also talk some about how do you market? What, what should companies be doing in this crazy and volatile time? So Nick, give the listeners a little bit of context like. If you could take two minutes to describe like who you are and what you do, um, how would you do that? And I'm curious for this too, because you're involved in so many, so many different things in our community.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I'm the geek in chief of WTF marketing. WTF stands for exactly what you think it does. Um, As you can see behind me, I'm a huge nerd. Um, I'm primarily a Trekkie. Um, I'm the lead organizer of Fort Collins Comic Con. Uh, As of this year, I was the lead organizer of Fort Collins Startup Week as well. I am one of Colorado biz magazines, top 25 young, uh, business professionals in Colorado. Um, I was a couple of years ago on one of the 40 under 40 for biz West, um, and have just been, uh, doing a lot of different community things cause I think it's more fun to, to play with others <laughs> and to sort of shell up and do your own thing. Um. And the very first thing I started out doing um, in the community, once I realized that I was part of it, <laughs> I came to CSU, graduated and just never left um, and went to work for HP and did a lot of, I was the world's worst programmer, just <laughs> atrocious. I was horrible. And then uh, had to have an emergency appendectomy. Um, and you cannot program while high on Vicodin. I just will tell you that right now. It does not work. Were you, I'm were sure you there a better, are some people were you a better program?
1: A when you, since you were such a bad programmer, were you better or worse when you tried doing it on Vicodin? No, I was not the house of JavaScript.
0: Like, <laughs> you know, I'm sure there are people out there where that is true. Um, I, I would, you know, my when I was finishing up my college final, and this should have been a hint to me that I did not like programming. But I remember distinctly going and getting a, a six-pack of Major Tom's from Fort Collins Brewery, which was the pomegranate yep. wheat. It was amazing. Um, and it that's how many it took me to get through the entire – I didn't, don't think I finished the six-pack, but I was pretty deep into it to finish my final for that uh, that capstone class and was just – I don't remember how it worked. I don't remember what it did. But I do remember that I got a good grade. <laughs> So it was, it was one of those things that I should have listened more carefully to what I wanted to do, which was, I joined in my first semester of CSU, I joined KCSU, which was the radio station. Yep. I became essentially the marketing director for the the radio station, which is pr- the production director. So you make all the bumps and the funny sounds and yep. stuff like that. Should have really listened. Um, but I just, I wasted I wouldn't say wasted. I took two years of my life where I just didn't enjoy what I was doing. I was stressed out. And the doc, after having done this emergency appendectomy, looks at me and he goes, what are you doing? Like somebody your age to have the kind of like, there are two reasons, right? Something's like majorly wrong with your body or (laughs) then you have too much stress and your body's not able to handle it. And so things like this get blocked. And you need to start thinking about what you're doing with your life. <laughs> this is your chance. Hmm. So I really took that to heart. Wow. And the next week, I, you know, my boss asked me, hey, when are you going to be able to start wearing pants again? Because um, I had a shark bite, you know, and you can't wear pants with a shark bite. And so they were like, oh, well, uh, you know, I had better pull my 401k. I had better, you know, think about what I'm doing. And knew I was getting fired. So I got fired, pulled my 401k, paid for a month of rent, paid for a month of groceries. And that was my runway. So that's how I kind of got started in marketing was, you know, building websites out for $350 and like, all right, cool. I can pay half my rent. All right. I can pay for groceries. All right. I can pay, you know?
1: Yeah. How much did you, this is always an interesting question is how much did you charge for your first, for your first project as your own business owner? Cause another, another guest a, a while ago on the podcast, his first project, he actually, he was actually paid, with a gun like somebody gave him a gun like here I'll give you a gun if you build me a website which is probably a normal currency in Oklahoma but um, I'm curious like what was your how much did you charge for your first website I had no
0: guns Um, (laughs) nobody was offering to (laughs) pay me the gun I did work I I subcontracted with another local web person um, and I was taking their Photoshop designs and turning them into WordPress themes and Right. You know, this is, this is a lot this is intensive. This is like 10 to, you know, 20 hours of work, depending on the, the website. And I was doing it for $350 and that's, I did the first three ish for that price. And then we had a falling out because I was three pixels off on a design. Um, I won't tell you who it was. Cause I still like them and they're in the community. So, um, but we were, there was, I was <laughs> three pixels off and because of how the layering works and you know, everything's essentially an invisible box in website design. And so even if you have like a really cool, like a star shaped widget or whatever, it's still a square um, to the computer anyway. So anything that's behind it is not clickable. You have to click on the star. So that's why we had a falling out. And uh, they learned to build all of their own stuff (laughs) after that, because they were so frustrated. And I remember that it left me with this really like, first there was the indignation of like, oh, well, you know, you're only paying me $350 or whatever. But then I started thinking like, well, as a business owner, now you have to wade in and fix this thing that you thought that you hired this person to do. And so, yeah, that would be frustrating. And it's really like a, it was like, a, Oh, like, you know, you have those, like those dumb boss moments. And I've been really fortunate to have a yeah. lot of really, really good bosses, but, uh, <laughs> but the latest one's an exception. So th- when I go into it, uh, I think about, All the times that I had some sort of learning lesson and I started writing them down like, oh, this was a really great idea for how to manage this particular aspect. Or yeah, I really wish instead of doing this, they would have done this. And so I start trying to apply those, especially when I'm managing teams for clients. Um, I I bring in those sort of learning lessons. Um, And I think the biggest one that, that I bring in is the honest intent. Like everybody's coming in trying to do their best. And as long as you believe that's true that you can treat people with a little bit more grace, which is really apt for right now. Um, When, you know, wearing masks has somewhere become politicized and whatever else is happening out there in the world. But wearing a mask, like I believe in my intrinsic right to like projectile spit at you or something like that. Uh, It's weird. This is weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is certainly a weird, a weird time uh, in our society and stuff. So, when you did, when you had the, the three pixel mistake, um, which as a new web developer, I mean, how could you, I mean, three pixels, Nick, come on. (laughs) But when, when that happened, uh, was it WTF marketing at the time or were you just kind of freelancing stuff? Like, and, um, tell me more about some of the thought process behind like being like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a company. You know, I'm going to brand it, give it a what, like, and, in. Was it just web design? Like, give me an insight into what those early days, uh, what was going through your mind? So I was, you know, I was fed up
0: with the guru, the marketing guru who would come in and be like, oh, small businesses, you just need to jump on Twitter. And here, let me create a fake person profile for you on Facebook for your company. So you can connect directly with your fans. That was like the going advice during the day. Um, right. because Facebook business pages didn't exist back then. Twitter was still brand new and all the rest of this stuff. Yeah. And so there wasn't really, it was this wild west of, yeah. of social media and marketing and people were trying to figure out how to navigate the interruptions to their attention and doing it poorly. Um, and we, we didn't have ways to manage our, and still kind of don't have ways to manage our attention span unless we purposefully delete an app, um, and in, in some ways, I think that we're learning that the tool can also be the filter. Um, but when I, when I became WTF, was I was still working at a programming job. It was my third to last job before WTF. And I, I just had been thinking like, you know, WTF, because I was in, in Twitter, like WTF marketing, like WTF what are we, you know, like, what is this? And I was a big fan of Super Bowl commercials. I still kind of am. It some of them are a little bit off the cusp now, but I'm a huge fan of like, what do we do when we have an unlimited budget to be creative? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And what kind of thing can we do with that? Um, what kind of jokes can we tell? What kind of story do we want to put out there? Like you you have that great three minute video where you talk about that. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that there's a really key element to, um, to origin stories. And so yeah. when, when I wanted to start a marketing company, it was like, well, in college, I had really wanted to create this, this commercial of, you know, for like Orville Redenbacher or somebody like that, where yeah. a giant puffy piece of popcorn, like a mascot, right? Comes out and just like punches a dude in the face and like flavor so strong, you can take, you know, you can feel it or something like that. <laughs> and that was like, the that's the end. That's the whole idea. Orville Redenbacher, you are welcome. Please take it. Just credit me in the bottom, all right? Now, I, I had no idea how to film that or do any of the rest of that stuff. I had no clue. And so I just, you know, I broke into things that I had access to, which was the when I was at CSU, the Squirrel Liberation Army. <laughs> so we would record what the DJs. in the BJs. world is this? It's, okay, so you, at CSU, the squirrels attack you voracious they're just like they're hungry for anything that you have if they smell food on you whatsoever they will like chase you i've seen them tackle people off of bikes it's insane if they're just like all at war and so the squirrels were really tired of you know not having access to anything cuz they had just put like locks on some of the trash cans and we were thinking about putting in like the bear trash cans to keep the squirrels out yeah. of the campus trash And so we created this at KCSU, this idea of the squirrel liberation army, which was like free the squirrels, free the trash. And so we had recorded all the DJs doing their best, like whatever they wanted to do, one liners and so on. And then we raised their voice like several octaves. And so they all sounded like, you know, Alvin and the Chipmunks, the squirrels. Right. so we hid bags of popcorn with tickets around campus. And of course the squirrels got into them and the popcorn would spill out next to the trees and the the squirrels would eat the popcorn. We don't have any idea about, you know, how many people went out and grabbed the the actual popcorn bags because they weren't any left, but the tickets the concerts were inside of these popcorn bags and so we'd say we'd give hints and drop hints like oh go over here and so people would go and snag the tickets and it generated a lot of really cool new listeners for KCSU at the time which Mm. was a really interesting and heartening experience for us um, because it's as a college radio station like of course you're going to be out in the quad and people are going to recognize you and whatever else um, but they are you know, they're not necessarily going to donate money or donate their time right. or volunteer. We had, we saw a raise in volunteerism. We saw a raise in new DJs. So it, by the measures that we had was a successful campaign. Now, was it a super technical, like I dove into AdWords and did retargeting and whatever else? i it like, no, it wasn't right. that. but it was a good introduction to what do people care about and what will get people in the door? And so that was really the primer for a a WTF marketing type experiment, which is at the time, everything was like cold calling. If you applied for marketing jobs, it was cold calling sales. That's not marketing. That's what people wanted. That's what people thought marketing was.
1: So how is that kind of mentality of just wanting to like do um, these more like creative, more different, more off the cuff marketing ideas. How has that translated now over the last several years to some of the work you've done with, with businesses? Like, are there some specific projects that you're particularly proud of?
0: You know, I'm, I'm probably most proud of uh, Fort Collins Comic Con. Um, and that was a, a project that was born out of the, the Poudre River Public Library District. And they were losing their building, which is now the Butterfly Cafe. They're losing their building to store their books for their book sale. Um, which is a major fundraiser for the library every year. And so they were, you know, I don't know where we're going to put these books. We need to find another storage facility. We're going to have to pay for the storage facility. We're going to. And so I had just come back from Starfest and had met Jonathan Frakes, who's Commander Riker, in the parking lot. And I was like, this was a really cool interaction. Why couldn't something like this happen in Fort Collins? And so I started looking around, and um, Dave Graham was doing The Geeks Come Out at Night, um, and there were a few other little, you know, niche type things. Griffin Games had just moved to their College Avenue location. Um, They had previously been where the artery is um, and moved out of there because they needed more space. And this was a really good indicator to me. We had three comic book shops and game stores, was in Fort Collins, the haunted game cafe had just come through. Um, you know, we had all these places. So there was a preponderance of geeks plus CSU. And I didn't know very many geeky people when I was at CSU because it just wasn't like, it wasn't like part of the culture yet to be like out and and doing that. Um, so when, when we sat down and thought like, well, okay, we're going to create we knew zombie crawl was a thing cause Nate Scott was one of my co-organizers and we got together and said, what if we just did a one day thing at the Aslan center, had people dress up and had some fun with it. We were like, okay, it's going to be a party for us and our hundred closest friends. So we, I think it was like maybe $10,000. We dropped on the venue, the, you know, the tables, the, anything that we could think of to maybe like spice it up. Right. And brought in some ridiculously smart people because as any good effort, you know, needs just the smartest people in the room. And right. so um and smarter than us as the organizers, we had to bring in the people that knew how to do the things. So we brought in the vendor organizer, um we brought in the the volunteer organizer, we brought in all these people. And they started taking on their individual aspects and it wasn't until we opened the doors that we really realized how big this thing was because it was 150 people lined up outside the thing at, and, and that was the doors. And this was at like nine o'clock when we didn't have any like programming yet to see just cool right. stuff to look at. And then you could like go and stay and do the panels and whatever. And so then right. we had 150 more come and 150 more come and we had 1500 people show up to the Azalon center. And we were thinking like, Oh, this is going to be about hundred people max. Like right. we have no clue what's going to happen. And the vendors made money. The panelists had a great time. There were people in cosplay and amazing cosplayers. We had an amazing time. And, you know, we, we over the course of the last five years, have raised $120,000 for the Poudre River Public Library District. And that is a large part due to our, our amazing community who shows up for stuff, even now during COVID, they're, you know, passionate, they're informed, and the team who just is insanely talented at what they do. We have two volunteer coordinators, we have two programming coordinators, we have, you know, Ben Clark, who now is the, uh, the organizer for the Kessel Run Couch to 5K, um, <laughs> the geeky themed thing that we do, um, which has, you know, helped about 100 people get off their couch and get some exercise, including myself. I hated running, and now I don't. Um, so this has been a really life changing thing. It it all sort of spurred from like, I want to see this cool thing happen in Fort Collins. There's no reason it can't. We can sustain a geek community here.
1: Yeah. Um, sell a, sell like why, why comic cons are awesome. Like sell Fort Collins comic con to a non geek. To someone who's like, those things are weird or, or can you like is, is it just some people think comic cons are weird and some people don't? But like, I'd love to like shed some light on like what actually goes on for the people that have never been to a comic con type experience. Sure. Well,
0: the the way that comic cons have been you know uh, portrayed, I think, speaks to a really um, a really particular type of of geek. Um, and so, what I would say is, imagine a place where you could gather in your town where the, all the people who cared about the thing that you care about, doesn't matter if it's like, you know, Quidditch from Harry Potter or um, if it's, you know, ancient uh, weapons from the medieval ages, or if it's, you know, who, who cares like animal crossing, right? <laughs> Any of that stuff. All of those people are going to gather in one place. And you get to meet them and you get to connect with them and chat and discuss these geeky things outside of the internet. So you can go and actually talk to them and and have these discussions in real time and, and see how passionate they are and learn new things about the thing that you care about. That's what I would say a comic con is. Now, on top of that, you also have like people who dress up and you have cosplayers who put a huge amount of craft into designing their outfit, their accessories, they, you know, choose things very purposefully, they're makers. So they go out and they, you know, 3d print things for their costume, or they learn a particular, like how to do makeup for, you know, or augmentations to put LEDs on their faces or wherever they're going to put them. And so there are so many intricacies to being geeky that I think that we, there's this false dichotomy of like, Oh, well, you got the sports dudes over here. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got the like Marvel MCU folks over here. And then you've got the D and D player folks way over there. <laughs> Look, a stats sheet is the stat sheet is a stat sheet. Okay. Right. Like I don't care if you're playing fantasy baseball or if you're playing D and D with your buddies down the street, a stats sheet is a stat sheet and math is math. It's, it's fun. It's cool to compare yeah. these things. Like, you know, what's the ERA of Babe Ruth's best season? I don't know, but somebody does, and that's really cool because I think that that's a, it's a fun thing yeah. to learn and to know about and to be passionate about, and yeah. I think that that messaging about what a Comic-Con is, that you can be passionate, and everybody else will like, cool, that's great, I love it. Even if it's not their thing, they'll still right. be like, all right, you won't get harassed, you won't get teased, you won't get, you know, bullied. Now there are always bad people everywhere you go, no matter what. Like that right. will happen. Sometimes we do our best to like screen those people out and like address them. We have a whole right. harassment policy, but on the whole, geeks, no matter what the type, they're sports geeks or if they're D and D geeks or whatever they are, they'll they'll enjoy having you there in that space. Right, you're welcome.
1: Yeah, I I love that, and I think that's such a good perspective perspective on it because it's really weird how like some um like some interest groups are publicly acceptable and some have are like loaded with all of these stereotypes and stuff. And for, I mean, the good thing is most geeks don't care that people look at them in, in with incorrect perceptions or whatever. Like I feel like people that I know that are into some of the things that you described. And I, like me and my wife, have became more and more into games and like we over the last handful of years and stuff and into a lot of things that we'd probably actually, I think we'd probably have a lot of fun at a comic con. But it's it's really interesting that certain groups in society like seem to be like plagued with stereotypes and stuff. When in reality, it's just a different type. Of, it's just an interest group that's different than yours.
0: You know that I've I never watched Community before COVID, and so the, the show Community, and I yeah. have grown to really appreciate it. Um, and I it's such a cool thing to see people accepting people, you know not just despite of their flaws, but because of their flaws, like they, they love each other because of their flaws. Um, and I think that that's a perfect, like a lot of people would say, Oh, big bang theory. Well, yeah. Okay. Kind of, but you know, all those geeks are super real skinny. They're mostly pretty people. Um, they have a lot of weird eccentricities that they harass each other about. And that's, that's less, it's more of a tear down type of a thing than it is like where community. Yeah, they raz each other, but they're they're mostly building towards this thing that they all care about and love. So, right. um, I think that that's a much better analogy for a, a comic con.
1: There's that yeah. tear
0: down culture everywhere and I it's something yeah. that I think is just a side effect of politics that sort of bled over right. into and so you have people that love the new Star Wars and people that hate the new Star Wars and then instead of just like oh but we all love Star Wars they're like no let's tear the apart. And, <laughs> and so it becomes this really like I remember doing the same thing with Star Trek when J.J. Abrams he did the for the 2009 Star yeah. Trek and I was like These are just teens with problems. This isn't like humanist (laughs) sci-fi. And then I had to, I was like, wait, no, this is, this is good because new Trekkies will come from this. Yeah. The uniforms are super cool. The CGI is super cool. Yeah. And you know, the resurgence of it led to, you know, Star Trek Picard and Star Trek discovery and all these amazing, cool new stories that we get to tell. And well, you know, well, I'm like, I love the cast of Discovery, and I don't necessarily like Discovery's story arc so much. I love, I love the possibilities that they have for telling stories, and there are some truly amazing stories that came out of Discovery. And remember, they're still in their first season, yeah. in their infancy, on a brand new medium, which
1: is streaming. Yeah, I've been, I've been curious to, I've been curious to, to check to see some of the like the newer Star Trek stories and stuff. I haven't seen a ton of the old stuff. I mean, anyway, but I've I've thought it was really interesting that like they're like bringing, you know, they're kind of bringing it to a new generation and stuff, which is interesting. So clearly like you have this whole world that you're very involved in, but you're also super plugged into like, I mean, the startup community, small business growth here in Fort Collins and stuff. You just coordinated Fort Collins startup week in February. Um, So like on the business side, what makes you so passionate about like, seeing the startup community in Fort Collins, but really I guess like bigger picture, like why why do startup communities, why is it really important that there's this like solid, vibrant community for small businesses? When I was getting started
0: in 2009, the one of the very first things I was doing was I wanted to teach classes and I taught of a class on Facebook, it was essentially Facebook literacy. Um, but Facebook for business and the folks that showed up and I say this with a lot of love because I love the golden girls. It was the golden girls crowd who showed up and I was like, these are smart, sassy, resourceful women who are having to spend their afternoon in a conference room with this dude, learning how to move a mouse around a website. I'm like, this is a literacy skill. And I'm, you know, the people I was charging through were charging like 90 bucks a head. I'm like, this is, I'm not going to charge 90 bucks a head to teach somebody how to read. This is not a a useful thing. So I felt really icky about that. And then I turned around and I said to um, my friend, Ron Stazudinski, who was the lead organizer of Ignite Fort Collins, which is speedy presentations. And I said, I want to start up a meetup group. And at the time it was $72 for six months. And I said, I don't have any money to do it, but I was wondering if you would start one up and I could just like co-host with you and I would run the entire content. I would do all the things. And he was like, here, have 72 bucks. <laughs> and I was like, <sighs> cause I was broke. That was $72 was like, that was grocery money, man. Like that was for, for a week and a yeah. half at least. And so right. that was just insane. And the idea that there was this generous person out there who was a small business owner who had been there, done that, had the T-shirt and the tattoo and the scars to prove it, mm-hmm. and, and was willing to help me out in that way was just mind-blowing. So I have kept that with me, and then you know Lori May who was the other lead organizer for Ignite Fork Cons, was my, my first client. I earned my first dollar from her as a small business owner, um, mm-hmm. writing copy for her after Ignite Fork. Fort Collins, because she was so she loved my um, my talk, which was digital gunslinging um, the Wild West of social media, blah 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 blah, and we were just talking about like all this you know all the horrible things that could happen if social media wasn't really like reined into business practices and systems and stuff. So that combined with the generosity of Ron and the community drive that I felt from Ignite was really a telling way to create a business, a sustainable business by making people care about something, by connecting well with them and being somebody that they could relate to and actually, you know, reciprocate that care back and forth. And so a startup community in my mind is very much, I know what you're doing. You know what I'm doing. You know what we're all working on. And we're able to work on those things together without politics, without judgment, without like, Oh, you know, like area and is doing a journaling class today. Great. I should share that out on startup week. Like it might not fit perfectly into the silo of our content calendar, but who cares? Like somebody in our, in our network will want to journal this time and it would be beneficial for them to do that. So let's share that out. And having that rest recipro- the reciprocity, the reciprocal relationship of like, Oh, you know, Ari- I'll support Ariana. Ariana will come and talk at startup week at some point. Like there's, I don't have that expectation, but she will eventually. And so like, these things are fluid. And I think that that speaks to, um, you know, having a, a really strong community that is, you know, unsiloed, decentralized. There are a lot of free-flowing ideas and people don't have to worry about who gets the credit so much as did we do something good for the community.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that that's, it's such an important perspective to have. And I mean, so much of what Story on is built on is, and what I started it with is I want to help some, I want to help businesses market with stories. Like I want people to be choosing what products we buy because of the impact that a company is making. I then have realized most of the companies that are really impact focused are really, really small. <laughs> Not all, but most. Um, and I think that's partially, cause like there's definitely a changing of the guard that's been happening in the last five to 10 years, just in big businesses, like, you know, Walmart is not as loved as it was 15 years ago. Um, And I think there's a lot of similar things like that happening just to where impact is much more important than just the products you get. So I've really realized, and it's taken me a while to accept the fact and figure out like how I can actually like run a business this way and service small businesses but I realize like the audience that I love working with is truly like small businesses that are like purpose driven focused on impact they want to make money but they want to make money for pretty specific reasons and those are usually pretty good reasons um, and so it's really really essential to have that community and I remember at startup week in February um, I mean it was it was it was great like things it, it went really well like Sure, there's always things that will, you know, every year seems to improve in different ways and try new ideas in different ways, which is great. But I remember like on the closing night um, it was like, you know, the closing keynote, it was packed room, tons of people there. Uh, I remember a f- kind of funny moment where somebody who was speaking asked if, you know, pretty much if there was anybody that was there from the city or from like the local chamber of commerce is, and there was, there was nobody in the room. There's, you know, probably 300 people in the room, startup community. And and it's important to have that community, whether the city is involved or not. And, and our local chamber is amazing. So I'm not knocking them, but there's this really powerful moment and like collaboration. And I think everybody left there really excited. Um, and then like two weeks later, like everything changes with COVID. Like Businesses have to shut, like probably half of those businesses in there had to shut down, um, you know, for who knows how long. And everything is just like in flow. So how does something like COVID that drastically changes the entire business community over the last few months, um, talk to me about the community, the startup community over the last few months. What have been ways you've seen it come together? What have been ways that You've seen it be missing like just let's just talk about community in that care how that's carried over to this season the The first thing that I would say is that the
0: the problems that we are witnessing because of covid um weren't necessarily caused by covid or necessarily bad public policy but because you know, public policy creation is hard under the best of circumstances. Um, and so you end up with these small little fissures that are normally ignorable. Um, things like, oh, well, you know, some of our community lives in hunger, but, you know, we have these things that allow folks to go get pickup meals, and they, we have the, you know, Foco Cafe, and we have the food bank, and we have. Um, but when catastrophe strikes, those little tiny fissures become massive crags of despair. And, and then we have to really take a look at, well, why did we ignore that little fissure when it was a fixable thing? Um, and now it's this massive, horrible thing. And so we, when we have problems with public policy, now the inclination is to like, pick sides and polarize, which is just wrong. What we need to be doing is, and I, I love the like, there's this Venn diagram of like, I can care about my civil liberties and small businesses and my health all at the same time. And I'm somewhere in the middle there. Like it's okay to believe in all of these things. Um I think that's very much true of everything, um, all politics. And so I I cringed a little bit when you I remember the moment that you're talking about with startup week where um, one of the speakers had said, "Oh well, who's who's here from the city? Who's here from the chamber?" And there were no hands. You know, <laughs> I know how much time a city councilor puts into their community, and to ask them for one more thing at seven o'clock or eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night on a Friday, when they could be with their families instead, or you know, it's just so much. Um, and Shannon Hine from the the Economic Health Department was all over startup week. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah.
1: She did an amazing
0: job. Yeah. And so I, I that's why I cringed. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's not really fair, but it's, it was, and we tried early on to get the chamber involved and you know, it's just timing stuff. There's nobody knew what was coming in, in March. Nobody knew. Um, and so we, we really, the door is always open for all of the community to be there and participate. I think that, um, you know, to, to go back to your original question what did the small business community do in COVID? Um, A lot of those, those fissures appeared. So our public policy around things like food trucks and commercial lease and commercial real estate pricing and um, how landlords and tenants can interact. um, How small businesses survive when you have um, policy decisions being made without necessarily you know, a lot of input from the small business community or the small business community is too busy to show up. And so then you have things like, well, you know, will, you know, Walnut Street and Linden Street survive when all of that gets converted to a walkable plaza? Like, how do you support those businesses during that time? And we were learning a lot of lessons really quickly. And the most heartening thing out of all of the COVID stuff Has been happening in the small business community. Now you you just ignore the Facebook Mm -hmm. comments. All right. If you take a look at what is actually happening to the small businesses, they're working together. They're trying to keep each other safe. They're looking for proper guidance. Uh, The city even asked me to put up a page for the noco safety supply.com. That's where businesses can go and find sources for PPE. Right. And, if they mm-hmm. don't have it, they can list their needs and suppliers, local suppliers right. can list what they have. So it, it was like this great, like, and the chamber was involved. The city was involved with that I was, you know, brought in cause I had built something similar for a different thing. And so there was this great, like, oh, we can do that and we can do it fast. And right. same thing with the Foco freelance.com, same, same idea. Um, Mm -hmm. and the no co resource hub and the very first thing after COVID became like a thing, um, for us, like it was, I think the the moment that it became real was like, Oh, South by Southwest is canceled and they're not going back to school. (laughs) And so we were in in spring break. And I remember the amount of material that came home with my kiddo for spring break. I was like, Oh, we're not going back. They're thinking this is going to (laughs) be done. Um, and sure enough, And so I sent out an email that day to the Comic-Con team and to the Startup Week leadership team. And I just said, hey, how are you guys doing? What are you feeling? Like, what do you need? What do you think we should be doing? And I had sort of a unique purview as this, like, you know, curator of a marketplace of ideas. And we sent out a note to to our communities and just said, this thing's coming. And we don't know what it's going to look like, but we want you to know that if you need people to talk to, we're here. Like, we're here. And just reach out, please. So I think Mm -hmm. just, and we did the same thing with our HOA. We did the same thing, you know, on the boards that I'm part of. And so it was just this amalgamation of, wait, we are here. We care. We want to hear from you. Don't just like bury your head in the sand. We're here. Um, And so that I think has been the most heartening response through this entire aspect. Not that what we did was unique, but just how people stepped up into their leadership uh, and, and really like evaluated what was happening in their communities to sort of help out with that um, and do their best work because without that, they could have just, they could have easily like, nah, you know, I'm just going to see what happens and see how this goes and whatever. Um, And good luck. That didn't happen. We didn't see that anywhere. The city leadership stepped up. Our County leadership stepped up. You know, the county's taking a lot of heat because they're trying their best to navigate. And the thing that is just totally fascinating, I learned that you're hearing things from the governor's office when he's doing his Facebook live casts, like, oh, yeah, this is coming. <laughs> Great. Good. Yeah. Now we can do this. Um, and they're, they're right. operating with the best knowledge that they have at the time, which emphasizes another, you know, key crack in public policy is how do you share information freely and well in a time of crisis? So this is the moment. I think that we can really sit down and, and think about what do we want a new normal to look like, especially in the realm of small business and supporting small businesses. What do we right. need to look like? And how do we operate moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think that one thing I've seen that, you know, your everything you're saying goes in line with it is like just the importance of small businesses like lean into community in this time. And I've seen it so much. But it's just like, I mean, it's funny because we're physically supposed to be isolated, but it's like business wise, like lean in. Like there's more communities, more whether it's Facebook groups or um, you know, group text messages or whatever, there's more community and engagement happening between business owners. It's like broken down so many silos. Like sure, there's always gonna be some people that are siloed and that remain siloed but i've been really really encouraged of just like this feeling of hey you're not alone like let's all figure out how to get this get through this together like oh that's working for you and i never ever would have asked a you know a retail boutique to give me advice on something but they shared what they're doing in that like just this interesting collaboration where i think that people are going to be i think the new normal will probably be a lot more collaborative at least for a while i think for the next couple of years um you know, business owners being more integrated with each other is going to be the new normal. And I think in, in large part, our community's done it so well because we have been priming the pump. Like, was this the fifth or sixth year of Fort Collins Startup Week or something? And it's been getting better and better. And, and a lot of, I mean, there's, there's a good portion of us that have been somewhat involved for the last five years consistently and pretty engaged with it. And so that, I think that community's been developing. To where then when this crisis happens, um, it, it it's I think it's gone deeper in a lot of ways, which has been really really neat. Um, kind of as we bring this conversation to a close, uh, let's talk about marketing for a second and just like get into your mark. We've we've spent a lot of time in your community brain. Um, like, what do you think that small businesses um, how what should they be doing? What are a few things that you think are really really important to be keeping in mind? Um, in this time as far as marketing goes. So the
0: first thing I would say is it's not too late, um, to connect and catch up with your community. There is, and I, (laughs) I warned about it early on. It's becoming increasingly true as we can't do in-person events, like in-person events before you could have like fear of missing out or joy of missing out. Um, now, now there's just, everything's recorded there's no excuse you have to catch up on your dvr you have to catch up on your podcast you have to catch up and so there's all these webinars and everything there's this content glut right don't worry about it because what really is important is the interaction and connection with your customers so if you didn't have a system or process before this it all hope is not lost start it now start building out that system now the second thing that i would say is that um, there is a tremendous loss of identity that occurs when you lose your third place um, and when you lose your second place, right? So first place is home. Your second place is your work. And most of us have either lost or significantly altered our interface with work. Um, and there's some elements of privilege there as well. And you also lose your um your third place, which is your coffee shop that you hung out in, your you know your favorite bookstore, or your whatever, where you go and hang out in a place that is not work or home. So, for some folks, that's catastrophic because they're in an abusive relationship or they're in a whatever they're you know something bad is happening. And so that third place was the escape. When you don't have your third place in a, in in the best of circumstances, you have this catastrophic loss of identity. Like, oh well, is what I was doing important anymore? Um, do, do I need to spend that money at that business? Should I, you know, if I don't get to talk with, you know, Joe, the barista every day. What is my, you know, who am I socializing with? Who are my friends? Is Joe my friend still? Like, you know, what is that? And so you have all these questions and ambiguity. Now, on top of that, you also have the plague, you know, COVID was just like, we have new data about it every day. There's uncertainty. There's questions. The data that we thought we did have is now not, you know, so conflicting stuff, which is science. Okay. So on top of that, we just have to understand that for people doing their best to keep up, live, and just get groceries or toilet paper. They're trying to figure out like their identity on top of all of that, which creates this massive marketing mess. And so the three key points for any business is, um, consistency, right? Disambiguation of everything. Like, do you have your COVID policies written very clearly on the you know, website? Are they explained to your customers when they come in or are they? You know, if you are a service based provider and you show up to somebody. So just to give you an example of this everyday decisions have this huge just mental weight to them. We had a pipe burst in our house like, you know, it was about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. And this of course is like my worst nightmare. <laughs> it's not like I'm a software guy. I'm not a hardware guy. <laughs> Doing hardware stuff is a horrible thing for me. And so we had to have a plumber in. And so of course I'm sitting here thinking like, we've just contaminated our house. We don't have our safe space anymore. We have this guy in who is in full PPE, of course, but he's, you know, we have to touch his binder. I have to do this. He has to be in our house. He has to be breathing in this room. And what do we do about that? And so we were wigging out about a plumber fixing a pipe in our house and it took my wife like it, I was like catatonic for a day because I'm like, Oh my God, we just, I just exposed my family. The mental weight of that was not good. And so my wife was like, look, <laughs> there are people out there working at the grocery store every single day who are not sick. Like you don't have to worry. And so she like walked me through the, the rational side of this stuff. I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And after a minute to breathe, but that was after disambiguation that was after consistency and showing up and doing what they said they were going to do and even then there was a mental weight to it now i'm a pretty big germaphobe under normal conditions and so during the plague there's a lot of different but i would say those are the two big and then trust right so how do you build trust disambiguation doing what you say you're going to do and then actually doing it over and over and over again and showing those results Everything that you do has to be in line with that, which goes into that consistency. So in your emails, what, is, what are we doing with COVID? And the best, uh, the, some of the best folks that I've seen do this, Kroger and King Soopers, they have they've created a PDF playbook. This is what we did, and this is how we did it, and this is why. Here, small businesses, take it, please. And they also showed that for their community because their community then can see like, oh, they're disinfecting every 15 minutes. They're spraying down the lines. They're doing all this and they install this plexiglass for everybody. It's great. But without that clarity of communication, without that disambiguation, you kind of look at the parking lot and you're like, I don't want to go in there. And I, I think a lot of people feel that way about like Walmart, right? Where you're, and it's funny that you brought up Walmart because this, the way that we tell stories has significantly changed. We talked about Trek early on um, where Trek, was very highbrow, enlightened. In the 60s, it was very much like a Western. In the 80s, it was very much like Beverly Hills where they're talking to each other and just like having these educational discussions and like intellectual things happening. And now Picard, there's people like getting chopped in half and doing backflips and getting blasted into the space. There's a ton of stuff. Like, you can't tell that story in the 80s. And you couldn't tell the Western story in the 80s and have it be successful, right? It's just not... So as Walmart evolved with their messaging, remember that they were also like, oh, we're pro america pro-brand, probably whatever. And then they transitioned into low prices <laughs> yeah. and then all the flags went away. And then, you know, they started realizing that what they do in the community has an impact. And so they started highlighting some of their worker stories and their education mm-hmm. policies and whatever else. And that they employ a lot of folks and that they have, you know, benefits and wages and whatever. And then they started doing the pop culture thing because that's the popular thing. You know, all of the pop culture characters because they have the money to do it. So does it evolve over time? Yeah. And is it consistent? No, from Walmart. And I think that, that you're seeing the struggle from Walmart of decades of marketing messaging out there culminating into you know, what is their audience versus somebody like target who's, you know, they've been every single time they had an ad with the exception of those, I think they were like gap ads too. They kind of copied the gap for a little while, but they Mm -hmm. always had that like really stable. Like there was a family in them all the time and they were always like different representations of families. And then they started showing off like different aspects of their business. And now they're starting to highlight their employees. And so there's been this very consistent like, you know, there's consistency. And I think you see that that out in their audience and their customers. Yeah. So if between the two retailers, I would say like, which one do you want to be? You know, because folks go to Walmart still. Folks go to Target. But who do you want to attract? So that's, that's what I would say. That's a perfect example of consistency over time.
1: Yeah. And I feel like people go to like... I personally don't know anybody that goes to Walmart. I, I don't know anybody that chooses Walmart, that goes to Walmart because they want to go to Walmart. Um, I know a lot of people, most of them are females that literally love going to Target. It's totally different um, and stuff. And and that's a whole nother conversation of those two things, but I think you gave a great explanation of kind of their narrative and stuff. So, so you're saying um, consistency, did you say unambiguity, disambiguity? Disambigu- disambiguity. You're disambiguating yes, everything. I, I love that. I like that word. Any, any, Yeah, any
0: little bit of, of anxiety translates into a huge amount of anxiety when there's a pandemic gone. Um, when simple decisions like, do I sanitize my doorbell today? Have I? When's the last time I sanitized my doorbell? And we have to start thinking about all that crap. You don't have time to think about identity. You don't have time to think about, you know, best shopping decisions. And especially when you're not the picker, that's the other side. So if you don't have an online storefront, um, that allows customers to retain that aspect of being a picker, um, then it's, you're relying on somebody, a personal shopper or somebody else like that. Um, you know, an Instacart, something like that, where it, they're picking for you on your behalf and you get what you get and you don't throw. A
1: right. Yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, trust. And I, I think Consistency and trust go well together because you build trust by being consistent, but also like you said, just by delivering and just doing it. So I think those are some great points to kind of end this with. Uh, this has been fun. This is uh, this conversation has been great and we've covered a lot of ground. So thanks so much, Nick, for joining us. Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and stay up to date with what's going on in your world? Um, WTFmarketing.com.
0: I post pretty much everything that I'm doing up there. Um, you can also check out startupfoco.com, where we post a lot of the videos and interviews that we're doing with local business owners talking about their pivots to COVID, uh, and also some webinars that are super helpful, like if you don't have an online storefront, what can you do and get you right. rolling on that.
1: Awesome. Well, I encourage all of our listeners, go check out Nick. Um, see the work that he's doing. Nick, thank you so much for sharing some of your insight and your story with our uh, audience today. Happy to. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you wanna grow an online brand that is profitable and authentic? Do you know that you have a ton of great ideas for content that you wanna create, but you need accountability and strategy? Do you want to grow online, but online marketing just seems overwhelming? If your answer is yes to any of these questions, then I wanna personally invite you to join our private marketing community, successwithstories.com. Success with Stories is the premier community for purpose-driven businesses committed to growing online by marketing with stories. Inside of successwithstories.com, you will learn how to create online content that converts, how to build a connection with your audience that outlasts any crisis, and most importantly, you're going to learn how to grow your business in a way that feels authentic to you. Honestly, right now in 2020, things are a bit crazy and unpredictable for all businesses. And so we think it's really important to show you how you can build a crisis proof online brand. Head to www.successwithstories.com to join Success With Stories. Don't wait another day. We'll see you inside of Success With Stories.